0: Hear Me, See Me podcast is sponsored by Zanoti, the number one cloud software for salons and spas. Because when people feel good, they find their greatness. I am Stuart Roberts, and I'm really excited to introduce my new podcast, Hear Me, See Me. It's just over five years ago. I did something that changed my life. What it did more than I could have ever realized. It helped me. I have met some absolutely amazing people. Some of the people that work in some of these places, many of them are volunteers, but some of them, it is their job. I'd had this idea after being inspired by a guy in America, I'd seen cutting hair on the streets and seeing the difference it made to the guys who were there. This is more than a job. This is a calling. Good evening. Uh, This is Stuart from Hear Me, See Me podcast, and uh, this evening, I don't suppose people know what time of day it is, but I'm with uh, celebrity hairdresser Michael Douglas. How are you doing, sir? I'm very well, thanks. I'm on a,
1: I'm in like an exotic job in Spain on the south coast of Spain working on a tour that's great it does fantastic the work only starts at like 4 in the afternoon I get to spend all the time kind of messing around on the beach till about 3 it's oh. my favourite job I've had in 3 years is it? yes yeah, bloody brilliant
0: <laughs> my, my daughter works for TV in, in um, behind the scenes and she, she's just out that peach she's been in Malta and she had to nice. pay for four weeks but two weeks she spent isolating in the hotel so she had four star hotel for two weeks and then the two weeks she did actually work was nights, nice, so she had all day in the sun so she really oh. that one yeah. yeah it's
1: very very similar yeah it's great it's great we're all, all very happy and it's quite quiet out here i guess because of the covid
0: and we're out of season yeah, yeah. we kind of got the hotel to ourselves you know it's um it's great um can we go? Can we go way back? Because I like to get to the bones about people and, and find out. Of course. And I think it's always best to go back to the beginning. What, what sort of? Um, what, where was you brought up? What was your childhood like? Uh, I was
1: about two years old. I moved to Leyland in Lancashire, and I was raised there. So when people ask me where I'm from, I always say, "Well, Leyland in Lancashire." But I was actually born in Birmingham, or just outside of Birmingham, in Bromsgrove. But. Um, but yes, I'm a Lancashire lad. Really, is, yeah. is how I see myself. really. my parents are Scottish, and both of them speak Scottish. Um, but um,
0: but yes, I'm an Northerner. Yeah, yeah. My, my dad was Scottish, so he was. I'm I'm sort of I'm half and half. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, me too, me too. So uh, I'm very happy about it. I'm very connected to Scotland. Like I, I go back there quite a lot, and it feels. Yes. It definitely feels like home to me, Scotland. I would be, I'd be pretty devastated if there's a, another referendum on Scotland and they, and they were to leave um, the connection to Britain. It would be really, it'd be really sad. I realise there's lots of people.
0: I agree. It would uh, be a heartbreaker for me. Yeah, it's a magical place and, and uh, a lot of my, my early roots are from there. And, um, mm. and I, One of my uncles, he works on a farm breeding cattle. And uh, it, you just drive over the mountain and just into this sort of glen, and it just, you felt this spiritual connection. It's you know, yes. like, like hairs on your neck just as you went Mm-mm. in, you know, right? And unfortunately, yeah. over there, like, uh, the uh, the, laird, well, the laird died, and the young laird took over, and he decided he didn't want cattle anymore. So, the, the, oh. my me me, uh, uncle did that for years, and it was a uh, the home came with the job and when the job finished the home went so ah right years you know it's this sort of archaic thing of the lids you know yeah. But, uh, yeah magical place it's really lovely so what where did you what made you first get into hairdressing then Martin?
1: well I think uh, I was probably like a lot of hairdressers I didn't perform particularly well at school I liked school you know I had a good time there and had lots of um friends there and it was a real Great, great fun. But um, I wasn't leaving with any qualifications and I had no real desire to stay in further education. So, you know, my mum said, you know, you've got to get a job. Uh, So I thought about joining the army because I thought, well, they'll take anybody. I'll be all right there. Then it was the Navy. And then uh, I had a friend called Matthew, and his older brother was a hairdresser, trainee hairdresser, and he was just having the time of his life. And I thought, who do I most want to be like? And I thought, I want to be like Phil, this guy, we used to call him Mr. Saturday Night, but he was, you know, a hairdresser, he he used to call them foreigners, you know, you'd finish at the salon and you'd go and do a few foreigners, um, which were just people outside of the salon, they weren't actual foreigners. Is this a term you're familiar with? No, not not from where I oh was. is it not? No. Yeah. So my mum my mum would always go, Have you done a few foreigners tonight? Which was basically cash in, cash in the back pocket yeah, doing yeah, some true. outside of work, you know. My so Phil just was he was he was like the David Beckham of Leyland, you know, he was so well connected and he, he just seemed to have a really good life, you know, and I felt great, I'll be like Phil. So my mum said, Well, they're looking for an apprentice down at this hair salon called Every Generation in Leyland. So I went down there, did an interview, I did a couple of Saturday and then they said great we'll take you on you know so I was probably I think it was the 22nd of April 1989 I went after school you know every day virtually and then worked the Saturday as well so I was earning a few quid in the run up to my exams I didn't revise or anything like that. I just plowed through the exams I have no idea what I got I never went and picked up my results um but i be, you know I joined the YTS scheme on 28 pound 50 a week and uh, and worked every generation for two years um day release at college you know all that stuff it's great and you know it was me and like 15 women basically in this hair salon it was just like wow you know like (laughs) it was was so much fun it was this funny thing because obviously i I live in london now you know it's like lots of lots of uh, gay men go into hairdressing i guess to find this kind of connection to feminism perhaps and things like that but up north lots of blokes go into hairdressing to kind of find women you know it's this real weird twist from being a northern hairdresser to being a London hairdresser yeah the the motivations for doing it are two completely different things which was fascinating kind of when I saw all that but yeah I, I loved it really but I didn't I didn't see it as a kind of art form or you know something really creative. I just saw it as something to do really. And there was lots of perms, you know, I was neutralizing 17 perms a day or whatever it was, yeah. you know, I mean, yeah. it was just like, what am I doing? So I often um the <laughs> dot about wanting to be a motorbike mechanic. I was obsessed with motorbikes, loved engines, you know, so I tried to leave two or three times and go to the motorbike shop and see if they would take me on as a motorbike mechanic. But <laughs> every time I'd go, they'd go, let's have a look at your hands. they yeah. show me hands, you know, and they'd go, no chance, get out, no. you know, and I'll be back to the salon. Um, <laughs> So so yeah, it was you know, it was good fun, but I just I just kind of saw it as, as a job or something to do and I often thought once I've got a trade or a skill I and mean, then I might join the army or the navy, you know.
0: Yeah. So where did where did you where did it take you after that after those two years? Um I've realized that I wanted to I'd been
1: at every generation for a couple of years and I uh, wanted to move to Preston, which was like the big town oh, near Leyland. Leyland was a little village, yeah. Preston was a bit bigger and it had these kind of what felt like big, glamorous New York-style salons, you know, there was one there called Rafters. So I went to get an interview there, and I got offered a job there at Rafters Hair Studio, where I met a guy called Gary Spencer there. And Gary Spencer runs something called the Great British Barber Bash now. Uh, so you, you, might, you might, Yeah, he's quite a big I mean, when I say he's a big character, which I don't mean he's fat. I just mean he's like a very larger-than-life funny character. But yeah. he was probably, I would have been about 18. He was probably about 23 or 24, and I was just mesmerized by him, really. You know, and he kind of taught me to cut hair differently and, and to see my job as something other than a job, you know, yeah. to take it seriously. And, um, and he also set up this little academy that was called System Hair Academy, where we would... We would teach on a Sunday morning. We'd invite local hair salons to come to us and we'd put on a little hair show and then in the afternoon we'd do some models and stuff like that and we'd teach these new techniques. I mean, I was bluffing my way through this, but I was very good at amateur dramatics at school. I'd been in the school play quite a lot and all the rest of it. I was quite good at standing up and talking in front of people. So I really enjoyed that. So me and Gary, he took me under his wing. I worked well in the salon and built a good column. And then on Sundays, I was doing these talks and presentations. And the owner of Rafter's Hair Studio, which wasn't Gary, a guy called Adrian Barnett, owned the distributorship for Paul Mitchell for the Northwest of England. Oh. And he, he came sitting on one of the seminars and then he said, look I uh, how about you work in the salon three days a week, and you come out with Paul Mitchell three days a week, and, and do education for for my customers? You know, my salons, teaching people how to use the products and all that stuff. And I looked quite cool. I had lots. I had a full head of dreadlocks. I used to wear like leather pants and a leather waistcoat. I looked like Mick Hucknall basically, you know, without being ginger. And um, and you know, and he gave me a company car and all that stuff. Oh, wow. and, I was away with it and I really enjoyed I guess the presentation side of it a bit of teaching and made me feel good about myself and it it realized I realized that being a hairdresser wasn't just working in a salon anymore it's kind of a world outside of it and that really really appealed to me that
0: so then where, where, where did it go from there um
1: I actually got very sick around that time. My lungs started to collapse weirdly. I, I was on a night out with Gary Spencer, and we drank these Long Island iced teas. We had a couple of them, and then for whatever reason, I just, I just collapsed. Oh. And then, you know, we had we had to take me to hospital and everything. And it turns out one of my lungs had collapsed, and um, and, and it would just just knocked me for six. Really, I guess I was about nineteen, and yeah. then I was out of action for about six weeks, and then. I lost a lot of weight. It was very skinny and very sickly, really, around that time. And then, then my lungs started collapsing intermittently. The left one would collapse, they'd fix it. The right one would collapse, they'd fix that. And I ended up just literally being in hospital for about 18 months to the point where actually um, they did some operations to try and fix the problem. But I ended up dying on the operating table. And then I was in intensive care for a while. And, you know, I, it gave me an epidural. I'm sure you know what an epidural is, but it's yeah. a needle that goes into your spine. But they put it in too far; it went into my spinal cord. <laughs> then they turned on the morphine, all the morphine went into my spinal cord, straight up into my brain, and then shut all my organs down, stopped my heart, it just killed me, basically. You know, it was a bloody nightmare. But anyway, I, you know, they drain all the morphine off your brain, and I was paralysed for a, for a while, and then eventually, you know, I, I came. You know, I mean, they literally didn't know whether that was going to happen or not, but over a six-week period, I, I returned. <laughs> and um, But I was jobless, really. I came out of there, and Adrian Barnett had sold rafters to, to somebody. Um, there was a chap called David Thomas, which you might know, David Thomas, hairdresser. Um, he's up in Preston. Wow. And he came to visit me in hospital quite a lot. And he said, look, when you get out of hospital, I want you to come and work for me. He said, you can do all the education for my staff. And he said, I'll look after you. And you know, I think he basically said whatever debts you occur, he said, I'll take them on and we'll we'll work out a system about how how you can pay them back. Yeah. I mean it was just he was just such a lovely, lovely person, David, and he saved me really, you know. Yeah. So eventually I came out of the hospital and went to work for him in Preston and um, I loved it. And then um, an advert came up in the hairdresser's journal to apply for a job as a teacher for Weller at the Weller Studio in London. I right. would have been about twenty twenty one at this point. That's young, isn't it? Um, yeah, yeah. For that but, of role, wasn't it? I just, yes. I mean, I was. I think I was the youngest person they'd ever employed to do that role at that time. I think they'd had someone twenty-three or twenty-four to do it. But I thought, well, look, I, I'm really. I was a really good teacher. You know, I could stand up and talk in front of people. I had some good skills with hair. I knew how to dress long hair I I and how to color hair really well and all that kind of stuff. I thought, I'll, I'll give it a shot. So my girlfriend wrote. I mean, I Alice a lot of hairdressers I'm not a writer I'm not a natural writer so she wrote me this um, this letter of application to, to Weller and weirdly I found it the other day I found a copy of it the other day and so well written I still couldn't write it that well be <laughs> myself you know and um, they contacted me back and they said we'd love to give you an opportunity to come for an interview at Basingstoke at Weller headquarters yeah. I went down there put on my best suit yeah. and I did a brilliant presentation like knockout it was. You could do a five-minute presentation on anything, and I did it on meditation, this meditation technique that that I learned in hospital. It's called the three S's, silence, stillness, and solitude. And I have read about it in this book. It's a terrible kind of self-help book called Talk and Grow Rich with Ron Holland or something like that (laughs) I was thinking I'm going to talk and grow rich that'll that'll work anyway I went down there but I did this presentation on how you can unlock the subconscious mind you know to get it to to get it to get you things and the way you did that was through this meditation technique anyway it was a really good presentation and they were like wow come back for another another interview so I came back for another interview did some hair and all the rest of it and in the end they said we'd love to offer you the job to come and work at the Weller Studio in London I was like I'm in, count me in, yeah. 12 and a half grand a year, I think was the salary with 2,000 pounds London waiting it was called, so you got an extra 2 grand a year because, uh, because you, you worked in London and, um, and that was it, I packed my bags and left, so that's, this would have been September 1994 wow. and, and bear in mind I was, I was dead in, in April of that year, yeah. so I, I had this miraculous kind of turnaround really and um, but I was heavily in debt, I was in real, you know, probably twenty twenty-two grams worth of debt, I would say. And right. I was a young lad earning peanuts. But um being off ill for eighteen months and all the rest of it absolutely cleaned me out. I think I had eight county court judgments against my name, you know, it's just like, Jesus, am I ever gonna get back on my feet? Yeah. But well it kinda of saved me really, you know. Yeah. Um and, and my job at well, I was to teach and every day morning, afternoon, and at least three evenings a week, you stood on a stage and you presented to 10 people or 100 people or 200 people. So I really, really learned, one, how to do hair really well there because you only ever did really one head of hair in the morning. You know, you did it while you were teaching, right? So you got really into the nitty-gritty of hair and how it worked and how it functioned. You were also surrounded by this huge R&D department that told you everything and anything you needed to know about how hair works, where it comes from, what it does and then how all these products work in the hair itself so it was was just a fantastic education really but it it, it taught me everything and I remember on day one of working at the Weller studio, it was on stage with Nikki Clark on one side and Joshua Galvin on the other and I was like
0: wow this is great
1: you know and I would just listen to what they were teaching and then I would teach that the following day on my own courses you know so you were just picking up nuggets of stuff everywhere and you were Patrick Cameron, Keith Harris, who you remember was always there. Trevor Sorby was always there. Yeah. Daniel Galvin, Joshua Galvin, Nikki Clark, and then all these other kind of all the other people that were coming up all the time. You know, so you were you were just seeing the best of the best do stuff, yeah. um, and then and then learning from. Them. So that, you know that takes me up to about 1994. So uh, you know from '89 to '94, you got a little synopsis of of how it went for me, and um, it was great. But I probably haven't worked in a salon since 1993, really. Yeah. Um, and it's quite hard to maintain a decent hairdressing career outside a salon for all that length of time. I think that's my biggest achievement, really, is is being able to maintain a career, but not behind a chair. And not that there's anything wrong with being behind a chair, because I do do it, like, once a week. um, but, um Sorry
0: my, son, no, all my right. son's ringing he's to wait, yeah <laughs> um
1: so so yeah you know it, it, I, i'm still amazed because I always think oh, at some point I'm gonna get sucked back into the salon because i can't I can't sustain my life financially doing these kind of session jobs but weirdly <laughs> they just keep coming in you think yeah. okay we've got a, there's another year of traveling with a suitcase and mooching about and all that kind of stuff so it's great it's great it's it, it was. it been great
0: because that's a long time isn't it as you say that's quite a long time not to be mm. you know that's, a, that's, that's the biggest part that's the most part of your career isn't it yeah I've
1: spent far more time out of it than I have in it I mean you know some um, yeah, it's been a long time since I've had a, col- a full column, that, that's for sure, you know. Um, but it's yeah. funny because I, I work out of Andrew Jose sometimes in Charlotte Street, and I've started oh, to work yeah. out of the electric space, Mark Woolley's place, that's yeah. where I went into you the other day. Yeah. And then there was, um, there was another salon called Environment just off Marlborough High Street, um, a guy called Keist. Um, for an ex soon, guy so and, you know I've, I've had these little pockets of salons that I'd go working for a day at a time here and there because I've got clients obviously people who want me to do their hair um, but I really enjoy it you know in the salon the hustle and the bustle and all the rest of it and I do think ah, oh, god there's nothing quite like it I guess it's like a chef working in a busy kitchen or something yeah. like that it's just, just a, and I love talking to other people's clients and yeah. getting them a drink or you know just making sure everybody's alright I, I, I'm a very you know I, I really like the social aspect of the salon you know it's a great great place
0: i think unless you've worked in a salon on a busy saturday or a christmas unless you've been on like a salon at christmas yeah you wouldn't understand what it's like because it's mm. just that magical atmosphere it's like a fantastic bar you know mm. but you don't even need the music on Where the the the, the, the atmosphere and the talk yeah can, you know and uh there's it, it's something special. I, I had a salon for thirty years. I I ran a I had my own salon. Wow. And uh unfortunately I it went I lost it uh twenty eighteen, but the land all doubled the rent and uh but I am sort of a bit really? thankful now because I <laughs> would Yeah yeah. <laughs> i have had to do every you know, I like, and and uh, Ooh, oh, yeah. Yeah, did that, you know and I sort of it felt like i someone had ripped me heart out at the time. Mm. Look now, you know these blessings come, don't they? And you think, yeah, that needed to be removed from me to move yeah. forward with what I love doing now in my life. You know, um, so and it's an interesting thing because we we've, we've people hate change, and I I, I love mm. people and I'm fascinated by people. And as as you said, you know, we are bunching to the electric space. And there's a lot of thing in the industry now about. Um, these type of setups. Now, I've been in, I, I was blown away by uh, what Mark was mm. has done in there. I mean, it's like, it's like a private club, isn't it? You know, and it, it's, it's yeah, stunning. It's a yeah. And, you, you know, like, to if I was working now, if I weren't doing what I was doing, I would love to work in a place like that. That's where I would like to do my clients. Um, yeah. But there's a lot of, I think, a lot of salon owners. I think it's fear a lot of the time, isn't it? You know yes it is I mean it's
1: a funny it's a funny business I, I think hairdressing I guess because you you've you've got this kind of faux inclusivity I suppose you could call it where we're all part of the same industry and we're all supporting each other and all the rest of it but if you opened a salon 50 yards from my salon I'll set fire to it you know it it's like you which is fair enough, right? Because it's competition, uh, you know. Well, but it's
0: on your door handle,
1: <laughs> yeah. But you got Mark Woolley opening this this place. That that's uh, I guess what you could call competitive people to literally work side by side. You know, um, it's quite interesting for him because he's got hair salons in london and i think he's got one in brighton and wherever else he's got so it's an odd it's an odd thing to do it's a very brave thing to do and i think it's also i think it's the right thing to do i mean interesting story is that i i um, had a chat with charles worthington and his partner alan about renting some space off them because they've round the corner from the electric space yeah they've got the, the percy street salon right so I, I know charles and alan quite well and i was looking at their percy street salon it's got five floors and not, i need a floor it's not, I'm launching a business next year and I need some space only oh. to shoot YouTube content stuff like that. I'm not opening a salon I'm not going you know, to do clients but I need office space and I need a place to shoot and I also do these kind of Instagram Instagram live things which I like, I like doing for, for uh, the consumer yeah. and I wanted a place to do them so I said to Charles and Alan how about you rent me a floor at your place and they're like why on earth would we do that you know and I said well I don't know Like, you might have a space up there and I'd love to work in Percy Street and know if you're not using it i can rent it off you and they went don't you think there's a conflict of interest and i was like i'm not opening a salon you know yeah i'm launching a a brand and you don't own your brand anymore you sold it years ago like there's no conflict And he went no 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 there's definitely a conflict i was like okay that's fine if you think there's a conflict then there's a conflict you know but i've literally gone 100 yards around the corner and walked into a hair salon and i'm set up there you know so i use it as an office i'm running my business from there I shoot all of my YouTube content in the studio up there. And, you know, I'm happy to use Mark Woolley's products. I'm happy to promote the electric space. I'm happy to promote my own brand there. It's like, it's just this great big melting pot where we're all doing something, you know. And I think it seems so short-sighted of of Charles and Alan, I thought, to say. Yeah. that, That there was a conflict. It's like, there's no conflict, you know. It's fair enough. You want to say no, I'm not bothered. You know, like, it was just yeah, yeah, a question. Yeah. But it was very nice to meet Mark where he was like, God, yeah, bring your business into my business and we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll help each other out. And I was thinking, great. And I love saying to people, look at the electric space, isn't it? Great. You know, come
0: here, get your air on. you know. Yeah. I mean, the, 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 at a time like this, coming out of a pandemic, to, to the investment that must have been, I mean, that, that's no cheap space, is it? I mean, that's been done really, it's Pucker, isn't it? You know, like that's yeah. a lovely space. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> he's terrifying. I, I mean, don't know how he makes any money. Sort of, yeah. know, I, was, I was sort of looking around thinking, oh, my God, this is a, a major investment. But uh, he's, mm. he's one of those uh, people that, you know, I really admire him because he just goes for it, doesn't he? You know, and, and he yeah. takes that chance, you know, with his product brands and everything. And he believes mm. because, you know, he's, he's getting the rightful success but it's that thing that um I mean you, you had, I remember, when in lockdown when you done the the to mm. shows and the you was on the, the I think, you know, the morning programmes and doing that. Yeah, the one show and all that stuff, yeah, yeah. yeah. and all of that. But the the next day, like, the the the, the venom that went out. Yeah, yeah. I, abuse. I was I was quite taken aback. I won't quite I know you get a bit of stick, <laughs> but I wasn't really thinking you was going to. What was it like to go through? What was it like to go through that? Yeah, it was it was, it was horrible, really. I mean, having,
1: you know, I guess people trying to destroy your reputation and um, and ruin your credibility, and not not just not just in a small way, you know, in a very very vindictive way, um, was was really quite brutal. Um, and it's quite worrying. I mean, I felt sick for about a month, I would say. I thought, shit, like, it is over. Everything I've worked for and everything I've worked towards is is going to be taken at this point. I think it, just for some context of that situation, so yeah. I worked I worked for Weller and Weller professionals, teaching and learning everything that you could possibly need to know about hair color and, and products and ingredients and how they work on the hair and all the rest of it, up until about... 2000, 2001, something like that. And then I went to work in Weller's consumer products division. I was bored of the hairdressing world, I suppose, in in many ways. I'd been to every Salon International, every alternative hair show you could think of. I'd, I'd put on more hair shows. I'd toured the country seven times, I'd say, with Bidel Sassoon's, Patrick Cameron, Weller, the lot. You know, like I'd presented to every Tom, Dick, and Harry, every technique you could think of. And I'd seen everybody do a bloody overdirected, graduated bob a billion times like i was done with it all i was like where else do i go consumer products i loved i wanted to work in advertising i loved the idea of creating those amazing hairstyles that you see in tv commercials even if it is for a consumer product i don't care i wanted to learn how to make hair look like melting glass you know like you yeah. see it, it yeah it doesn't yeah. even look like hair have they done that I wanted to learn how to use green screen and green rods and start to manipulate hair in slow motion and all that stuff. That's what I wanted to do. So I thought working consumer products, they make TV commercials, that's what I'll do. So Weller offered me a job there and I took it. They owned brands like Shopwaves, Silvercreen. They had a big color brand called Weller Viva. Yeah. They had a shampoo brand called Viva on off, they had a big range called Liquid Hair, which sponsored Friends. I don't remember at the time, it was massive. You know, it was a multi yeah. 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 million dollar business and, and I became the technical manager, which is a slightly crap name, but I guess it was their creative director, you know. So I got to learn all about the world of consumer products and I loved it. It was brilliant. It was big, big business. And you were making decisions and shooting images that were gonna sell ten million pounds worth of shampoo, you know. So it was yeah, it was brilliant, you know. <laughs> So I loved all that, and then around that time, I ended up getting on TV. I really wanted to be on TV, but we can talk about that later. But it it really helped. You know, I've done all this presenting and talking and everything. I knew I had to present to a camera. A friend of mine was a TV producer. He said, let's get you on TV. I had this small TV show on the Discovery Channel called The Hair Man. But lots of people watched it. It was translated into lots of different languages all over the world. and Procter Gamble bought Weller around that time, and they'd seen my TV show. Right. And they said, we would love to offer you a contract. We don't understand Weller as a business. We bought it, but you've worked in professional and you've worked in consumer. Come and help us. We'll buy 50 days a year of your time, at X amount a day. Money was outrageously good. I was like, great. So I straddled both businesses for a while, but then I started to work mainly consumer products. And they owned Clairol, nice and easy. They owned Head and Shoulders, Pantene, Aussie, Vidal Sassoon, um, and now they own Shockwaves and Silvergreen and various other well brands. Nicky Clark, for instance, you know. So I just started to work on all these consumer brands, and then I started to work with R and D, and then I started to to learn an enormous amount about home hair colourants. I mean, what I know more about home hair colourants than. Than yeah you know, you'd you care, you care to mention but, but and we're going back to two thousand and one two thousand and two so I've been in consumer products for twenty years at this point when I when I went on the one show and said said what I said so what I knew about consumer products was that it is serious major business for these people for Procter and Gamble or L'Oreal or Schwarzkopf or whatever it's. A, billion dollar business around the world and they don't just put any old shit in a bottle, you put it on a shelf and expect it to work, you know like yeah. they spend an enormous amount of time and effort and money trying to make formulations that are the best they can be, largely because they've got competition right, yeah. Schwarzkopf put a load of crap in a bottle, then L'Oreal are going to clean up right, yeah. they've got to compete, so everybody's trying to make the best thing they can make, they're not trying to put metallic salts in there to make your hair fry and frizz, you know all that all that rubbish that I have to listen to, you know, like they're really good solid ingredients. And what the other thing I would say is um, that a lot of these consumer products are formulated first, primary, as, um, as the number one, let's say, priority for these companies is to get that formulation right. Then once they've got that formulation right, they often then take those formulations and put them into professional products Second. So a lot of people think, oh, well, you know, like, let's say you say Weller-Colistin's got ME plus in it in EDDS, which are these two kind of magic ingredients. One's to reduce allergy problems and the other one's to reduce the effect of copper sulfates in hair, right? That was in Clairol nice and easy for two years before it was in Weller-Colistin. Right. right, yeah. A because, people think it's the other way around, not Yeah, lots of people think it's the other way around, right? So, And, and the reason for that is is that people are crap at putting colour on their own hair. So they have to try and make The technology is so safe that even if you're crap at applying, it still works really well, right? Um, So a lot of these technologies are, are, are developed and made specifically to help the consumer get the best possible result. And if any of those technologies are good and they think they can work in professional, they'll often go into professional second. But there's no comparison between the amount of money you make from a consumer product than you make from a professional product. You make a lot of money from them, you know. So they're important bits of the business. They're not just any old rubbish. And that's what I had to hear all the time, really, I think, was people kind of saying, you don't know what you're talking about. You need to educate yourself, you know that stuff. I was thinking, Oh, well, I'm well educated about stuff. Like I I know it inside and out. You know? No. I think <laughs> people said I had to do really was just wait for it to go away. You know?
0: Yeah. Yeah it was that onslaught wasn't it, it was that, it's that, yeah. that knee jerk reaction of people. They don't, they don't take time to think they don't, they don't process it. It's that it's yeah. sort of reaction. Like you've let us down, you've done this, you've done this. Um, and I'll, oh, I, I, I think what I would like to say is that I, I did let, I think I did let the industry um,
1: down. I think I did very badly word what I said it was very unsupportive. And if I could do it all again, of course, I would say it different. Yeah. Um, the thing that rubbed people up the wrong way is I said it's the same stuff. I said the stuff you buy in the supermarket and the stuff in the in the, the salon is the same stuff. And it is arguably the same stuff. If you could get me a list of ingredients from Nice and Easy, you get me a list of ingredients from Colliston, you would be hard pushed to find any difference yeah. there'd be a difference in the order because there's different consistencies and there's different amounts of things like that but to say that all these ingredients are harmful in consumer products and they're not harmful in professional products absolutely rubbish. but what I said is is was was an insensitive thing at an extremely insensitive time mm. and uh, and it, it wasn't fair and for that I am really sorry about actually uh, and if I could go back I would I'd word it all differently
0: yeah.
1: um, but what the one show had said to me is, look, hairdressers are shut, so the hairdresser's not an option. I don't want you to talk about what the hairdressers can or can't do. That doesn't matter. What I want to know in this three-minute section on live TV yeah. is what can somebody do to, to help sort their hair out? And I was like, go to the supermarket. Don't be afraid. The thing won't damage your hair any more than anything else. We'll, you will know, read, the, read the instructions. Um, you know it's difficult to highlight your own hair I think I said unless you've got very short hair and then with regards to cutting your own kids hair you know you can use clippers and do it like this but I had three minutes and I was bumbling around a little bit also there's no talk back, you can't see what you're presenting to, you're presenting to a black screen, you can't watch the TV at the same time. You know, like there was a lot of, there was a lot going on, it was quite weird. Mm-hmm. Um, and then afterwards, yeah, I didn't realise that every hair salon in Britain had been forced to close down, a lot of them under huge financial strain. The last thing they wanted to see was some cheeky northern twat basically saying, Oh, don't worry about it, we've gone cut your own hair at home. So, you know, for that I, I Uh, I apologized on Instagram, I think about two days later, and said, I wish I'd worded it differently. But I'm not going to apologize for saying that that consumer products are are good because they are good. You know, the shampoos are really good. The products are really good. You know, like, it's competition for you. But if you're a hairdresser and you're worried about consumer products, then you should up your game a bit because, you know, if you're you're worried a box on the, the supermarket shelf in Sainsbury's is going to compete with you, then bloody hell, you need to be a lot better
0: this was the thing this that was the thing that i i couldn't quite get because i thought you've all got your uh, people have tend to they've got their focus on the wrong place Mm. they're they're, they're focused on the product, but not the package and the thing is it's like i can go now i can go and buy a steak in in tesco's and cook it for me dinner yeah but it ain't the same <laughs> as if I go to a really good steak restaurant and they cook it. Mm. I don't know how they bloody do it, but it always tastes amazing. And I yeah. like a bad cook, but might never quite get there. And that's all I see it as. I don't see it as that. You know, and if all the restaurants are shut, I'm gonna have to find a way maybe some kind restaurant might say, Look, there's a little thing you can do. You can have your mm. at room temperature, you can do this, you can maybe yeah. sit in it and you know, like and maybe it might be a little bit, and at the time, it's sort of what the client needed. Oh, I don't agree with you the know, industry, but it's what this, this was. What this want. was the this was
1: the amazing thing I, I learned. What 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 I'd done for the last twenty years was was worked outside of the hairdressing industry. I didn't see myself really as part of the professional hairdressing industry. I, I was part of consumer retail really, and the beauty business. You know, I was a hairdresser, but I was. I didn't see myself as, uh, you know, I don't enter the British Hairdressing Awards. I don't go to the Creative Hair Awards. I don't go to the L'Oreal yeah. Colour Trophy. I do do any of those things. You know, like, you know, I felt like I'd done that. And, you know, I, I get it. But it's not, it's not my area, really. I, I, I work in a completely different area. But what I found, I think, what, one of the most interesting things that I've learned about all of that is just how closed the hairdressing industry is, how shut down it is, and how insular it is. Like, you can watch... Michel Roux Jr. on primetime TV, take you into the kitchen at the Gavroche, and he'll show you how he cooks his famous turbot main course. He'll show you how, how he does it, you know. Now you might think, why is he doing that? Because we, we don't go to the Gavroche then, right? We cook that at home. It's like, no, they don't. They don't do that. They still go to the Gavroche, right? Because you want the service, and the experience, and Michelle Root cooked the thing for you in the first place, right? But what he does, what, what's brilliant about the cooking industry and Gordon Ramsay and all that, right, is they let the consumer in. You let them all in. Just, they, they pull back the curtain, and you can see behind the scenes, and the consumer loves it. It's like, oh, wow, look at it. It's all this stuff going on, and it's all the hustle and bustling. It's great. Chefs do it brilliantly. What they've done is they've stopped being... This kind of exclusive professional chef, and they've let in everybody. Yeah. And the hairdressing industry does not do that. Right? Oh. It says that the consumer is not welcome here. You can come as a client, but anybody who doesn't come is not welcome. It, it got this very insular thing. All the consumer wanted when in lockdown was some help, mm. and there were so few hairdressers willing to help them. Yeah. And that—that's. That was the light bulb moment for me, really, is that I thought, okay, all the hairdressers hate me, fair enough, but I'm not here for them. I've always been here for the consumer, and that's what I'll do. I had literally thousands of people contact me. I grew a, I grew a 35,000 Instagram followers in less than, I don't know, 12 months or something like that, by just saying, you want me help, give me a shout, DM me, I'll try and answer your question. Boom! It was unbelievable, and of all the big salons you could think of, everybody, a consumer from every one of those big salons that you can think of, got in touch. Um, I mean, I don't want to name you because it's not very really fair, but, but from any big salon you can think of, I have at least one customer from there say, I've tried really hard to get in touch with anyone in the salon. No one's called me back. I just want to know what to do with my roots. Can you help me? They'd send me a picture and it would be a 6.0 with a two-inch regrowth of gray hair. And I'd go, yeah, go and buy Um Clara nice and Easy number 6 put it on the roots 25 minutes, comb through for five minutes, stick the conditioner on, send me a picture of before and after. would love to see it. And it was simple as that. 99% of everybody I helped was a 5 a 6 a 7 a ten oh. Yeah. And then with highlights, I'd say, don't touch it, just wake your hairdresser. Okay. Faliage, don't touch it, just wake your hairdresser. Yeah. You know, 50% of the advice was sit tight, buy yourself a treatment. Here's how to trim your own fringe if you're interested. You know, and then the other fifty percent was just a four, five, six, seven, zero. You know, straightforward root retouch, no problem. And bloody hell, were they grateful for that advice? But hmm. it was amazing. I just, I just felt it was really sad. It was a real missed opportunity for a lot of hairdressers to kind of go, "Oh, I could really help—not just my own clients, but loads of other clients." And the amount of people that sent me messages that still do today, saying, "Please, got to get an appointment with you when this is all over." And I thought, oh, so that's interesting. I'm encouraging people to use consumer products and box dyes, but in the end, they want to come to me for a professional service. So it it didn't have the effect that everybody thought it would have, which is if you drive people to the supermarket, they'll stay there. No, they won't. They'll go there. They'll use it while they can. They bloody hate having to do their own hair, and they'd love to come to wear hairdressers, you know?
0: (laughs) I know. I I, I used to say it to my team, and and over the years, I've said it to hairdressers. You cannot expect to, to sort of just go around, and, and you need to add add value. You need to you need to also like add creativity to it, because mm. as you say, if you end up they come to a salon, pay a lot more money, and end up just having a base six on their roots, you've got to make sure you introduce some other little bits and say look, we can we can do a few packets, we can do this, this, and this. We yeah, a few blonde bits, right? A few blonde yeah. bits, like yeah, yeah, great. Do, this like, do we not mean. do a basics full head for time after time after time with Mister So and So, because in the end, she's going to think, "What am I coming and doing this for?" Mm. You know, yeah. make make it. I,
1: I think there's the the other thing is that I, I, I mean, I formulated a response to a lot a lot of the abuse that was coming to me. You know, and I, one of the things, one of the things I formulated was that. you're complaining about these products in the supermarket compared to professional products, but it just doesn't matter. All the value is in you, the hairdresser. It's not in the tube. It's not in the peroxide. It's not in the box. It's all in you. So the reason they come to you is not because you're using Colliston or Majorelle or whatever. They don't even know what you're using. (laughs) Like, You could be mixing up nice and easy in the dispensary. They don't know. They don't care. They're here for you. All the value is in you, the hairdresser. And, and that's the thing that had been completely overlooked as well. Not by everybody. I, I did get quite a lot of support from a lot of hairdressers that, that, yeah, yeah. that went, yeah. you, you know, you didn't say anything wrong. You just said it at a bad time. Don't worry about it. Yeah, yeah. I totally agree. You know, so, Of it is, wasn't everybody but, um, but the people it was oh they were angry they still are I still get, still get abusive messages now <laughs> when I'm on this morning there's this one girl who messages me oh the abuse is outrageous I mean I keep thinking I should block her really but it's almost hilarious watching it come through you know you um, can't believe country. it yeah. do you think uh, yeah yeah uh, uh, and then I look on her, her Instagram page, and she's there cuddling her nan, saying, "Oh my lovely nan! <laughs> Thank God, only you, your nan knew just
0: how brutally you were. You know? <laughs> what you potty mouth you've got? You, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you end like that, would you?" <laughs>
1: it's it very funny. It's very funny. Yeah. But um, but yeah, it was a, it was a brutal it was a brutal time uh, for me. But um, a, a very very valuable lesson I learned from it. And um, yeah, I, you know, I should have read the room a lot more accurately that day and there's definitely some regrets around it but wow what i learned and what i came out of the other side with you could there's no other way to gather what i learned other than to go through that that kind of hellish time um so i'm glad it happened but um you know i I wish i wish i wish i'd said said it differently you know Um,
0: you can't you can't undo this stuff i mean i'm I, i i i know i mean i'm we said before we went on there that I'm, I'm sort of 15 years sober and uh, I, I've, I've, made some, I've done some terrible, terrible things. And what I've had to learn to forgive is me, uh, forgive myself because I, yeah. I cannot undo stuff, you know. All yeah. I can then do is try and be the best version of myself I can from day to day. Mm. And and, yeah. you know, and you've, you've been mad enough. You just said, you, you, you know, you didn't just say, well, I did do nothing wrong. You said that. You just said that you, you wish you could, um, but you can't. You know, yeah, um, yeah, what yeah. you did do balanced it by saying that how important hairdressers are. Yes, exactly.
1: and yeah. I think, well, I think what I've gone on to do as well since then is help the consumer, but very much support the hairdresser. You know, like I've been, I've done several college talks where I've gone on Zooms and and talked them all about their career in hairdressing and all the different things they can do. I thought, I thought it'd be very difficult to change the hairdressing industry as it stands now, but I think. If, we could, if I can go to colleges and do a little bit of, yeah. uh, of trying to, to breed a kind of new vision for hairdressing um, and to not look at it quite so exclusively in, 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 in too much of an elitist way
0: yeah.
1: and to, to kind of spread the word of love. I think one of the things it would do is open up a greater pool of people who want to come in the industry. Lots of people want to be chefs because they see Jamie Oliver and Gordon Ramsay and Michelle Rue Jr and all, all the other guys on TV and think, oh, it looks great. You know, that's what hairdressing needs to do. It needs to open itself up and let people in. Um, you know, there's lots of parents out there that perhaps wouldn't want their kids to become a hairdresser, you know, and you think you could alter that, no bother, by by opening a whole, a whole place up to the consumer in a much, much bigger way. That, that, that's what I'd like to do, really, is I think bridge yeah. the gap between the consumer and the client
0: and say, let's not forget they are the same person.
1: Yeah. Um, and,
0: um, is that you know, you're, mean to do with your business that you, you, you know, is that the sort of direction you're going in there for next year? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm launching a brand yeah. next year, which,
1: which I was always going to do because one of the reasons I've worked in consumer products for all these years is I wanted to launch a consumer brand. So it's not come out of this lockdown fiasco. It, it's something I've been trying to do for a long time, but I've never had a good enough idea really. Um, you know, I've thought, ooh, Michael Douglas, the TV celebrity hairdresser, shampoo and conditioner. It's like, yeah, what the fuck's that? Like, there's millions of TV celebrity hairdressers, shampoos, and conditioners. It's soap in a bottle, mate. Like, yeah. What are you offering the consumer? Yeah. What is it Michael Douglas stands for? You know, that's the thing I would get. i go and see Boots. I said, I'm going to launch my own range. They go, right, what problem are you solving for women? And i go, I'm going to make the hair more voluminous and shiny than ever before. And they go, yeah, Charles Worthington's already done that. John Frieda's already done that. Lee Stafford's already done that. Yeah. What problem are you solving for women that's not currently being solved for women? I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I'll <laughs> go away and have a think about that. <laughs> and I'd go away and think what problem am I solving for women, <laughs> you know, so you know, over, over a, a, almost a 10 year period of searching for, what is it, like John Frieda's frizzies, right, like yeah. he solved the problem of frizz for women, you know um, you know, Nicky Clark brought glamour and the supermodel industry to the high street, you know, um, with his aromatherapy rage, you know, like when you start trying to pin it down, it's like, yeah, God, like you know, one of the questions you get asked all the time is, Who is Michael Douglas? What do you stand for? <laughs> you know <what> I and mean? <laughs> I think, Yeah. <laughs> like, I have no idea what Michael Douglas stands for. And then one day, the penny dropped and oh. I knew what I was. You know, like people stopped me in the street and they always said this particular phrase to me. You know, and since Sydney on the TV, they'd go, Oh, you're that guy. And I used to, and then in the end, I was like, I'm that guy and I'm not going to tell you what it is because it's not but my point was is that, that I wasn't ever in I could have launched any old stuff I guess over the last 10 years but I'm only going to do this once it's got to be bloody right it's got to yeah, be yeah. really good yeah, and it has good. to center around a single core idea and I never had that till about 18 months ago and then bang you know the penny dropped and then I thought great And I guess one of the things I've done since lockdown is is grow an audience on Instagram uh, with the idea, I guess, in the end of saying, okay, you've come to me for all this advice and all this help and all this education. I've taught you to blow dry your hair and use products in a different way and shampoo your hair this way and all the rest of it. And now here's a range of products that I think will really help you, you know. And it might be a bit cynical. You might think, oh, he's just growing an audience to sell people products. But, you know, it's a marketing strategy, I guess, around trying to provide people with a solution to a problem and that keeps me at work, in work, you know, like, yeah. I, I, you know, which is which which is which is the cornerstone of any business ultimately, you know. Yeah. I, de- I didn't want to sell people a dream that wasn't real. I wanted to sell them something that I thought, I yeah. think this will help people. Um, yeah. And I think it's really good. Yeah, and some of it's shampoo and condition, some of it's not, you know. Yeah, um, yeah good. So it looks like next June, you know, we've got... Um, We've got really good investors. Charlotte Tilbury's is our, one of our lead investors. Charlotte Tilbury's obviously the queen of beauty and yeah, launched yeah. the business in 2012 and sold it for a billion dollars recently. I mean, she knows what she's doing. She's, she kind of looked over our idea and thought it was great. You know, Christoph Henkel, the guy who owns Henkel, that owns Schwarzkopf, really? he's, an, he's an investor. Yeah, like is we've it? got amazingly brilliant investors behind us. And
0: um, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm really delighted. And, I'm hoping it's mm. an outstanding success for you because we need another sponsor so <laughs> <laughs> well let me tell you consider it done once we've launched we'll be sponsored. what's interesting
1: about uh, Haircuts for Homeless that we, yeah. we talk about that um, is that um, when I started making TV shows um, I, I then set up my own production company and um, I produced most of the TV that I made so I did a bit of directing producing and writing and we pitched all sorts of different ideas. Um, I've made a lot of history documentaries and things like that. But one thing we did do is, is, I think it was called Front Magazine, which was a lads mag in the 90s. The editor rang me early. He says, I want to make over a couple of homeless guys. What do you think? You know, And I was like, yeah, but can I film it? And he yeah, said, yeah, sure. So I rang up my producer and I said, let's go and film this. right?" So he gets these two homeless guys and come off the street. And wow, you know, they looked really chaotic and shambolic and they'd been homeless for a good year or two and they, they did look in really bad shape but the magazine wanted to do this article that we made them over got them clothes got them a suit and all the rest of it took them for a job interview you know so we filmed the whole thing and I cut their hair and shaved them and all the rest of it yeah. it was really quite it's quite a traumatic thing to do one because they didn't want to be groomed too much because one of the things they said is they couldn't beg for money if they looked too good and what were they going to do if they didn't get a job You know, they were slightly hedging their bets all the time so I said look how much is a hostel for the next three weeks or something like that you you said like 165 quid so I gave them 165 quid and I said look just take that money let us make you look the best we can look and if if it doesn't work out for you then at least you've got lodgings and then you can go back and do whatever it is you, you want to do, you know. So we sh- we shot this thing, and then we had some names for it. It was like a funny little teaser we made—a teaser thing we called it "Transformation." It's oh terrible. God, yeah. terrible. <laughs> I think you've got to remember. You go, yeah, right, right. I know, I know. You have got to remember. It was it was like nineteen ninety. Yeah, no, it was probably about two thousand one. The world was a very different place. You know, That's like awesome. Oasis yeah. was still the biggest band in yeah. the world. Like, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: You were allowed yeah. to say offensive things to yeah, people, yeah, yeah. you know and it was fine. Um so we had it was got and then the other one was Beggars Can Be Choosers was the other title for it. I don't know. Anyway, we shot mind this little
0: mind that. <laughs> we
1: shot this little uh shot this little taster for it and then we sent it to all the TV channels and all the rest of it. Some of them loved it. You know, BBC Three nearly commissioned it as a full series. The idea of what we'd do is we would we had some different ideas. So you'd take somebody um, who uh, wants to be a chef homeless guy wants to be a chef you know you make him over you, you do chef training you push him, you know and get him to death. I know I can see his glazed over like oh. and then the other one we had where we'd find five homeless musicians all the different things and then we make them all over and turn them into a band um, and then Get them a gig, essentially, you know, and see what would happen. You know, this I mean, in the end, I I remember telling this lawyer friend of mine about it, and he said, you just can't do it. It's it's exploitative beyond belief, and it's disgusting. That's like, is it? I think it's a great idea, you know. In the end, we had to let it go. But um, obviously, for obvious reasons. And then the One Show turned up in about 2005 and said, we're looking for small independent production companies to make short-form programs for the One Show. Have you got any ideas? And I said, Well, I used to make this TV program called The Hairman many years ago uh, on the Discovery Channel. But I'd like uh, but we've got this little taster tape of this transformation thing. Anyway, we showed it to them and they loved it, the one show. And the one show said, Okay, I don't think we can make over homeless people, but off the strength of that, we would we would like to commission the street barber and we'd like to send you out all over Britain putting people's hair in the street. And and literally my whole the whole one thing, the one show thing started off the back of the taster tape we made of yeah, cutting yeah. two homeless people's hair. Yeah. So it's quite funny because you got in touch with me a couple of times said, any chance we yeah. can get this homeless thing on the one yeah. show? And I kept going back to talk to them about it. And I think they were a bit worried that it was a bit exploitative and, and, and not very friendly and, and all that kind of stuff because they said, look, well, you've already pitched us this. We don't want to do it. We just want to do this. So, But it's really funny how... When you started doing Haircuts for Homeless, I was like, God, my TV career started really yeah. doing, doing the Haircuts for Homeless. It's quite funny yeah. to, to see, see how it's gone for you.
0: Yeah. I mean, mine, mine came about really by accident because it just literally, I was, because of, like, being in sobriety. And I was, I used to go down the on a, on a Monday, I'd go down a local Sally Army and I'd go and do buddying, you know, and I'd talk about alcoholism and all that stuff. And then I just saw Mark Bustos in America. This was 2014. He was out on the street doing those makeovers. And then at that yes, point, that's right. Yeah. yeah and I, I just thought, um, next week I'll take my scissors and I'll do a few haircuts cuts, and it all grew from that. And there he was a couple of weeks ago in in electric, and and. We didn't have many customers because it's not the ideal thing. It's a bit of a setup, and it doesn't really work. So I, well, I went off the streets, and I was I was like getting guys in, and there was two guys that were plotted up in Oxford Street, and I got them in. There's a great couple of guys, and they looked brilliant when they were done, you know. But yeah, you know, it, it's but there was another girl that came, and as soon as she saw everyone, she just couldn't cope with it, and she left straight away. Yeah. So the, the thing you, you, you it's going to, it's hard. To, to coordinate anything like that or, or, or just make it up, you know. It, I, I agree. And I think in my naivety,
1: uh, you know, back, you know, 15, 20 years ago, I thought, oh, you know, we'll just get homeless people and get them to do this. But yeah. there are extremely complex, complicated reasons for why they are where they are. Mm. Uh, but that is way beyond my kind of intellect really to try and unpick why people end up the way they do. but um, it's a very, very honorable thing that you do. I think it's utterly superb. And if I can help you out in any way, shape, or form, you know, with yeah. posting stuff on social media or, like I say, doing, doing this podcast, or when it comes to launching the book, um, well, I'd, lo- I'd love to talk about it on my podcast with Davina. And then, yeah, yeah. you know, in, in, in any other way that I can help you, or if you're doing the thing at the Electric again, you want to invite me down to cut some hair and yeah. put that on my socials and all that kind of stuff to spread the word, then... Absolutely, you know, because nobody nobody wants to live a completely kind of screwed up existence riddled with addiction and all the rest of it. But as you get older, you realize that you're not in control of your life in in the way that you think you are. And um, there's a random element uh, to life that is sometimes just not on your side. Um, And I would say I'm extremely fortunate to be who I am, I feel that, I feel genuinely fortunate to be who I am but, but I, I think it's, I am who I am because of the, the effort that I have put in and that makes up for 30% I think of the output of my life, the rest of it's been a mixture of luck and help and situation and random acts of kindness and the people I've met and things like that so I can't take I cannot take the majority credit for my success or my happiness or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, because life is, oh, it's a mystery,
0: you know. So many it's a mystery. things along the way. I mean, that guy who, who, who came and visited you in hospital and then he had you, yeah. he had your back when you came out. <laughs> if he and you didn't need time, to do that. But what, how, yeah. what, would have been? what would your life have been, you know. So, and that difference you can make in someone's life. It, it, yeah. You know, uh, it, it blows me away. And um, uh, yeah, yeah. I'll appreciate that if, if when we get the book going, we're going to do the, uh, sort of some sort of uh, fundraiser that's going to kick off in, in October. So we'll let you know. Jack Eames has got some amazing pictures that he's been taking. And he, yeah I mean he's worth a follow if anybody's
1: listening to this podcast Jack Eames is a photographer and I've worked with him a lot on a lot of the campaigns yeah. for Weller and um, he's such a lovely guy and he's a brilliant photographer so um, go and follow him on Instagram yeah. for sure I think he's just at Jack Eames photo or something like yeah, that yeah Jack Eames photo
0: he has been following me around for <laughs> not, not stalking me but for a couple of, yeah. years. <laughs> a couple of years now and he just gives his time free of charge and he's just, mm-hmm. he's just really there for us, you know. Yeah. I think it's going to be a stunning, beautiful thing when it's done. But I've taken... A- yeah, great. I mean, there should be one in every salon, basically, right? Yeah. I mean, there's 40,000 yeah. 40, salons in Britain. Yeah. All you know, let,
1: let's let's try and sell one to every salon, you know.
0: Yeah. yeah, that was my thought. I thought, you know, what would I want to do as a salon owner when I was, uh, you know, do I want to give a check to 50 quid to someone or do I want to have a lovely book to show everyone I, mm. I am? I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to do that because it's, yeah. Yeah, it's going to be, it is going to be stunning, but, um, yeah, I, I, I've had enough of your time. Uh, I really appreciate, I've loved talking to you. I, I feel like, yeah, to, yeah I've, I've and I, I found the whole thing fascinating that you said about, you know, the situation that, you, that we've just been through. But um. Yes, I think I probably would like just to finish off by
1: saying I do love this industry and I do love the vast majority of people in it. You know, they are, they are great, fun-loving, positive uh, people. And there are some brilliant people, I think, coming up in the industry. Sophia Hilton's doing a fantastic job i think on social media and what she's doing i think by she's doing a great job i think of bridging the gap with consumers and, and clients by you know having that instagram following that's outside of her to see you know a lot of her instagram followers are just consumers who just love multi-colored hair right so she's doing a great job the way she talks to the camera is brilliant so she's great i think mark woolley's doing a fantastic job and there's a handful of other brilliant people out there as well that i think are, are doing a doing a great job but um Let's do our best, I guess, to bring up uh, a new, a new breed of of hairdressers that are going to encourage more people to come into the industry and to see to see it differently. I think all, all the growth, I think, is uh, to be found within hairdressing. Is to be found outside of hairdressing. That's what I've learned more than anything. Everything I've learned uh, that, that's helped me in my career, I haven't learned in the great room of the Grosvenor House. Hotel, or I haven't learned at Salem International, or I haven't learned at the Alternative Airshow. I've learned it outside of the industry. So, people, if they get the opportunity to leave the industry a bit, I don't mean leave it entirely, but get outside of it, go and try and work in different sectors of different creative industries. So, whether it's art or fashion or TV or movies or whatever, all the growth is to be found there because. All, what I can see at the moment is the hairdressing world is like a giant echo chamber where everybody is saying roughly the same thing and then agreeing with each other. Nothing is moving, you know. Nothing yeah. seems to be moving outwards, you know. So get out there, take your skills and apply them to different industries. Yeah. Um, because uh, you know it, there's there's some exciting growth to happen in hairdressing. It feels like it's not happening fast enough.
0: You got me excited. Um, Good, <laughs>
1: but you know the other thing is that people are afraid to work outside of the, yeah. the world because they'll get kind of beaten up on social media or whatever. But don't care about that. Don't care about what other people that's, are doing.
0: Just that's the thing, isn't it? Yeah. Don't follow your own conscience.
1: Mm. I, I mean, that's what you're doing essentially. Is you, you're using your skills and you're going outside into a different different world and applying. It's extremely rewarding to take these skills and take them outside. You know.
0: And I um, echo I, I, I you, I love the industry. And, and originally it was about meeting homeless people and, and it's gone so far more than that. You know, women's refugees, mental health units, all sorts of things. But on top of that, I got to meet hairdressers all across the country. Yeah, yeah. And I, I you know, 600 volunteers we've got from, from England, Scotland, Wales, Ireland and Dublin, you know, and they're all so great, you know. Mm. It, it, we're, a, we're a fantastic bunch of people, and as you say, working together, we, you know, that whole thing, we can achieve more.
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, God, one other thing I just wanted to throw in there is before it finished. What talking about? Oh, that, that was the other thing is that most of my success has been based on my ability to talk. If you can, if you can get the opportunity to present or teach or, or any time you can do any public speaking, it is the single best thing you can do. And every job and every opportunity I've had has been completely based on my ability to talk. Yeah. So learn to talk properly and um, articulate yourself properly and be able to talk in front of 10 people or 1,000 people. But learn how to do that and you will be like superhuman. Um, I did just want to say that because a lot of people say, oh, oh how do you do that? And I was thinking. Talk like learn to talk it's the best thing you can do
0: you can help me with that <laughs> <laughs> yes
1: but the thing the more you do it the better you get it and those eight nine years I spent at Weller teaching changed my life that was it you know I learned to talk and yeah. um, I mean it's probably very irritating for a lot of people. <laughs> I probably talk way too much, but um, it's helped me enormously. So anyway, on that bombshell. Well, thank it, you so much. Yeah, uh, it's been it's great. great. And thanks. It was great to meet you and great yeah. to be invited on the podcast. Um, yeah. You know, um, I really, really appreciate it. So um, thanks very much. I'm, I'm looking it's forward fantastic. to this coming out and I'll plug it on my, my socials and all the yeah. back jazz. And um, yeah, let's see each other soon.
0: I'll, I'll hold you to that. It's just over five years ago, I did something that changed my life. What it did, more than I could have ever realised, it helped me. I have met some absolutely amazing people, some of the people that work in some of these places. Many of them are volunteers, but some of them, it is their job. This is more than a job, this is a calling.